0: Hi, welcome to System Change Made Simple on, on what systems are, like what kind of systems do we live in like capitalism, racism, patriarchy and so on how can we actually change the system and get rid of these oppressive systems and end up with something considerably better than that this podcast series discusses that I'm Terry Lay, I'm a sociologist and environmentalist um so we'll now begin get yourself a hot drink and sit down and get comfortable this is system change made simple within the po- podcast taken as a whole there's four different parts or series and so we're now on to the second series which is about patriarchy and the relationship between patriarchy and class societies okay this podcast is on toxic masculinity
1: it's about the the process by which the particular way of being as a man comes to exist socially. What are the structures which make this happen?
0: And so this is the third podcast in the second series. Okay, so before I start this talk, I should just mention some of the, the sources for some of these ideas. Okay, so I've been very much influenced by what's called object relations theory within feminist therapeutic and anthropological writing, and especially by the author Nancy Chodorow, also by some of the eco-feminist writings, people like Ariel Soleil and Valerie Plumwood. So I'll just mention that.
1: And so this one arises from something of a puzzle. I mean, the
0: socio-biological theory of aggression is that aggression is an innate part of human nature, or it's an innate part of human nature in men at any rate even if it's not in Asian women. And I'll talk about that in other podcasts. Basically, I think that's not a very good account of aggression. But at the same time, you can see why it's such an attractive theory.
1: One of the things that it has going for it is that it reflects the reality of world history in which... um, aggression is really common and and violent wars are are a very common feature of humanity in a way that it's not necessarily true of other species of mammals. They don't seem to fight to the death in the same way as human beings do and so why is this so common? So there are some obvious explanations of the presence of physical aggression and conflict in human history which is like Aggression's is used as a means to control people. So in a class society, the ruling class manipulates armed forces to control the peasantry and the peasantry are being screwed to within an inch of their life and they react back and they have to be controlled by armed force and so on. I mean, yeah, that's certainly true. <clears throat> people develop aggression in order to defend themselves against the aggression of other people. Um, and this is all somewhat obvious, but it's hard to reconcile with the fact that a lot of aggression seems excessive. It's hard to reconcile with the fact of the huge risks men take to be involved in aggression against other other people, often without any obvious advantage. And it doesn't really explain why this aggressive behaviour is mostly the domain of men, not to say that women aren't ever involved in it, and clearly they are, but, I mean, it's like, you know, at least eight times out of ten it's coming from men and it's often directed against men as well. Okay, so what are the aspects of male violence? Things like gendered violence, domestic violence, obviously sexual assault, which we hear a lot about at the moment. Civil violence, fights, like fights between men in a pub, but but also duels, you know, like in the feudal period, feuds in, in other societies, bullying, you know, like in the playground, whatever. This kind of violence, quite common. And then there's warfare, of course, which is depressingly common and and often achieves nothing and the the parties that just kill each other and oh that's brilliant you know including genocide against whole populations and and all of this behavior displays an appalling lack of empathy really and it's a bit paradoxical in the sense that one of the things that humans enjoy is looking after other people and and getting the social rewards and pleasures of being friends with people and And aggression always cuts against that. So there are some obvious explanations of why violent behaviour is located in men. So I'll talk about them. One is to control women as an underclass so that men get other satisfactions, you know, like someone else doing the housework and menial work while they swan about and do things that achieve more power and status. I mean, you know, like, okay, so they're getting something out of that domination of women in order to reinforce that domination various kinds of violence like including domestic violence and so on are being used i could talk about that at length but i won't at the moment but even so sometimes this seems excessive and well beyond what's necessary to achieve these goals one could also say that because men control politics societies they take on the burden of violence, you know, like against other men. So that if politics is a a realm of, of conflict between different social groups, and then who's in control of politics? Well, in a patriarchy, men have got control of power in general. So obviously they have control of politics. And so when these conflicts between groups become violent, it'll be men who are involved in this violence. And that certainly makes sense and explains to an extent why women are not so much caught up in this as men are. And you could say that, like, it's a risk to patriarchy if women are in control of violence. So in a sense, in a patriarchal society, it's no accident that men are mostly the ones with long spears and hunting weapons and bows and arrows and engaged in violence against other men and so forth, because they don't want women to take these kind of controls. And we can say that this becomes then a cost of patriarchy for men, you know, like men can say, oh, look, I'm so disadvantaged, I have to go off to war and fight other men. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that is certainly a cost, but it's a cost of patriarchy. In other words, it's inevitable in a situation where men control political life. But all that being said, I want to go on and say something more about this, which is that I like the term toxic masculinity. In Australia, it's been popularised popularized by Clementine Ford, a feminist writer. And it doesn't mean that all masculinity is toxic. What it means is that there's certain ways in which masculinity is created and structured in particular social contexts, which makes it toxic. And like what I'd like to do in this talk is to say, okay, so let's try and work out exactly what is toxic masculinity, what are its characteristics and how does it come about? So i would start off with this. In patriarchal societies, there's a particular pattern to how men are brought up as boys, from boys to men. It creates a psychology of competitive striving to beat other men, It works against empathetic relationships with women. It fosters anxiety in men about their claim to be regarded as a real man. You know, like, am I a real man? Oh, my God. And aggression is one manifestation of this psychological pattern. So, okay, so competitive striving is part of toxic masculinity, if you like, but it's not just that. It also includes physical aggression against women, children, other men, and so on and so forth. Okay, so let's talk about how this comes about and relate this to the way childhoods take place in a typical patriarchal context. So men being like the ruling class, gender class, are concerned with affairs of state, with the public world, with business in the public world. They engage in undertakings which confer status and social power. And you could say, oh, my God, no, no, no. Look at the poor working class man. You know, like he's just going to the factory every day. I mean, it's ridiculous to te- speak about him as ha- gaining social power. But actually compared to his partner, he's in a heterosexual couple. He actually does have public power through wage income that's higher than the woman's is typically likely to be. So this is a a pattern which exists even in our kind of, in quotes, liberated societies today. So what men tend to avoid, because it ties you down and is a work and takes you away from this public world, is the work associated with caring for small children and infants. Women do most of that work. And my argument is that it's not a biological necessity yeah, okay, we could talk about breastfeeding as part of this work and say, yeah, that's a biological necessity that women do that. But it's no biological necessity that men are involved in the other parts of the care of infants and small children, like, you know, oh, rocking them to sleep, pacifying them when they cry, you know, taking them for a walk around the block, changing the nappy, etc., etc. et cetera. And that these kind of tasks, exists in every society, that it's typical for women to be the ones with infants. If it's hunting and gathering, they're doing the gathering with the infants on the hips and so forth. And this kind of care work that women do with infants creates emotional ties. In other words, the person who's looking after the small child or infant ends up by having an emotional tie with that child. It's hard to do that kind of emotional work without creating that emotional tie. My theory is that actually Men avoid this, partly because it's come about in patriarchy. They avoid this word, partly because it creates these emotional ties, which tie you down, you know, that they hamper your free act action. So this pattern, what is the effect of this pattern? For the boy growing up, it creates what I call the puzzle of masculinity. Most of experiences of nurture and being looked after in early childhood come from women the young infant boy identifies with women. You know, what is it to be human? Well, obviously these women are a a classic example of an adult human person. And, you know, like you identify with them, you have this close emotional tie with them as an infant boy and a a young boy growing up and so on and so forth. At a certain point, boys, you know, and this is sort of variable, it occurs anything between five and 25, you know, but it's typically associated with adolescence. Boys are urged to give up this identification with women and to develop themselves as men. This is why the phrase separating the men from the boys is a sort of common phrase in English is such an important thing to think about. And it leads to a puzzling demand for boys, you know, like what is a man? I mean, in other words, the, the, these are boys who haven't had much intimate and close experience with with their fathers, I had other adult men who are off there in the public world doing things and so on and kind of powerful figures, but they're not intimately connected with them. They're not, they're not, in daily kind of affection and close physical relationships with these men. So they can't say, oh, well, it's just being like that, you know, well, obviously there's some, they do that to a certain extent, but it's difficult. So they're encouraged to solve this problem to like become a man by rejecting femininity. Okay. So everything that you associate with the mothers and the women who have looked after you, you're told to reject that. You're not to be a mummy's boy, you know, like, in other words, you're to sort of man up, become like other men, like remote men, and that must mean being different from these women. Now, what is associated with these women is this emotional connection with the infant, this kind of nurturing, this empathetic relationship between infants and their female carers. So the second thing is that their are urged to establish their adult masculinity through competition with other men. In other words, how to prove that you're a man, beat some other man, you know, like an an adult man, if you like, be up there with the real men. And this leads to, one of the things that this kind of awkward problem leads for for men is the anxiety of, am I man enough? Do do I actually make the grade and cut it as a man? And now kind of competition that men are involved in isn't just physical fighting competition it's also other competitive behavior and a lack of empathy generally and this is expressed in business competition in warfare in you know things as minor as driving and how you ride your bike on a public pathway and so on I mean it's, it's everywhere. Okay, so this separation between men and boys is often marked by a ritual initiation. And if we if we look at societies studied by anthropologists, you know, in, in, in something relatively close to their pre-colonial situ- condition, we can see quite a few examples of this around the world. In fact, it's very common as to be almost universal and My own reading on this would be, I'll just mention a few examples, the Munduruchu, who are a society from the Amazon, there's really good stuff on that. Mumbuti people, who are the pygmies of the forest in in the Congo. Uh, In the Melanesian societies, which have been massively studied by anthropologists, and Indigenous Australia, which of course, same thing. So what's a typical pattern of this initiation throughout all of these different cultures, right? It's no accident that this structure of patriarchy is reflected in all of them. The boys uh, who are coming of age are separated from women in the camp and taken out into the forest. The adult men adopt the role of terrifying spirit beings. Obviously, often they're concealed and they're just making a terrifying noise or whatever blowing this sort of magic flute or something like that or a bull roar or whatever and the myth is that these actually are dangerous and terrifying spirit beings. So and the boys are taken into by the adult men into the forest and undergo initiation ceremonies which usually involves some kind of painful ritual sort of minor torture like for example boys are being thrown onto a burning fire or or, or or something like that back at the village the women are weeping oh our children are being taken away our sons are being taken away from us and so forth and so forth and then the boys return as adult men to the village and, and adopt their adult male role now we can look at this as you know like, we can look at this in a very naively optimistic uh, Oh, what a romantic way, if you like, and say, oh my God, at least these societies celebrate the ritual of becoming an adult. Well, yeah, that's true. And that makes sense and and so forth. But what we also need to realise is that it's a classic example of initiation into masculinity, into patriarchy. And it takes this particular form because of that and works in that way. Um, in, in contemporary Western societies, there's no kind of comparable ritual of that type you know if you accept particular religious cultures like bar mitzvah or or something like that maybe but but mostly secular contemporary global culture there's nothing that really fits that bill Uh, on the other hand there are various sort of minor things which actually like getting your driving license is really a key for boys playing football, an aggressive, dangerous sport. You know, like I remember I was taken by my father to play football. And at the end of the the session, I must've been about 10, the coach said to my dad, oh, just hasn't got much tiger. Now, I regret that now. I mean, I wish wish I'd really got into football because now I really enjoy watching it. But I mean, all I can say about it at the time is, I was classic, I was really rejecting that sort of masculine role as an adult and going, no, 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 this initiation is not for me. and we can see it reflected in, in religious religious stories like the story of Abraham and Isaac. You know God tells Abraham to sacrifice his eldest son Isaac on a stone. I oh mean God he's got the knife ready to kill him and an angel comes down and says, "Oh now I can see you truly fear God, so don't bother do something else like go and sacrifice a goat or something. I mean yeah, what is that all about? So all it's about is this hierarchy of dangerous, terrifying men, you know, showing no empathy to to their sons, right? And like, yeah, that's a classic. So this is a project of recruitment into patriarchy. Okay, so what I've been talking about is
0: a general pattern of patriarchal societies. And clearly, like I've said in the previous talk, not all, all patriarchies are as extreme as Victorian England is one way to put it. And, 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 I mean, this apl- applies to this pattern of socialisation and toxic masculinity as well. I mean, c- clearly uh, capitalist puritanical cultures generally are quite extreme in some ways in the degree of separation between adult males and infants, though obviously less so in the present period, influenced by feminism. You know, and, and in, in other societies... There's still this pattern that I've been talking about with men being in the public sphere and not having a lot to do with young children and so on. But there's a lot more affectionate inter- relationships between men and their young sons than there is in Western culture. But the, nevertheless, this same basic pattern that I'm describing is still present.
1: I hate the phrase "not all men," but I think it's important to realise that not all biological men are equally inducted into this; that they don't necessarily take this on, and that this kind of popping out of the patriarchal mould is happening all over the place in current society as it is so thoroughly influenced by feminism. And I think, like, I think if you're if you're a male and you go, "Oh, toxic masculinity," how dare you accuse me of that? Like, get over it, really. I mean, one is it's everywhere, so don't pretend that it isn't, and two. You know, if you don't want to be a toxic male, then, like, you do something different, you know, behave differently. It's not that difficult. Um, What I'd also say is that even if we look at other societies, that biologically men don't necessarily adopt that patriarchal masculine role. And so we could look at the Burdash in North American Native Societies, the Hedra in South Asia, the Fafahini in the Pacific. And I like, realised that it's no accident that these gender, bi- non-binary gender roles or, or feminine gender roles were also available to biological men in the past because being recruited into patriarchy is a terrifying business and actually comes with quite a few downs. And what we can say today is that s- people who are now termed sissies, <coughs> sensitive new age guys or whatever, uh, are maybe men who are trying to rejecting this process of recruitment. So what I'd say is that we're seeing more and more of this since feminism in the 70s, the second wave of the feminist movement, and that there's more single women-headed households where a patriarchal father figure isn't part of the landscape of the immediate experience of the child. We're seeing more nurturing men encouraged by feminism to realise some advantages in having good relationships with women. And we're seeing more equal parenting, although it's very difficult within current work structures to do that. And there's more awareness of the problems that this lack of empathy is causing us. I mean, you know, like we've just had a terrible scandal with our special air service forces in Afghanistan, shooting unarmed civilians, executing people but posing no particular threat. And like people are not happy with that behaviour any longer. In a period in the past, it would have been swept under the rug. Now, this kind of behaviour is just not on and is regarded as nasty and awful as it is. Okay, I'll finish this up now.
0: Okay, so in the next podcast, I'm going to be talking about how this kind of theory of toxic masculinity relates to the way feminists and eco-feminists look at class society. and I'm going to talk about the connections between class societies in general and also the destruction of the natural world and masculinity within the context of a patriarchal society.